0: Hey guys, Bill Farrell here, uh, Rock Bottom to Recovery, Episode 8. I'm pretty sure it's Episode 8. Um, so our guest speaker today is Senator John Keenan, um, and we'll get to him in one second. Um, as you can see, we're missing somebody. We're missing Shane Johnson. Um, as you know from a couple of podcasts ago, that Shane got a job, and um, so we were very excited about that, and it seems like uh, <laughs> Shane's job is taken him past a little of... Uh, you know, he was going to be here today, but he had to go somewhere else, so he's not here. But what I wanted everybody to do is um, the number is one eight eight four one five nine one three nine. You know that. We give that every week. Um, but uh, you can call Shane directly because I'm sure he's up on a building somewhere cleaning the window. So give him a call and say hi. Let him know that we missed him. And... Um, And we're going to jump right into the uh, podcast. We get we're going to get this up and rolling. So I just want to thank Senator Keenan for being here today. Um, Thank you. You know he's um, he's uh, one of the leading voices in um, in in our community. I see him everywhere um, talking about the uh, substance use disorder. Um, So we present we have some questions from. We're going to ask him and um, you know um, and try to get some answers. And again. If you're not uh, this your first time watching this podcast, um, rock bottom to recovery. We're just um, exploring all roads to recovery, Um, trying to get some education and some awareness, um, and um, for ourselves and for anybody that's interested. Um, So, with that said, I I do want to just um, first question to ask you. uh, Senator, is that uh, when um, and I I noticed in 2011, right? Is when you got into the legislature. And immediately, right off the bat, you, were, um, you started to tackle the uh, drug addiction prevention.
1: Um, so I
0: was just kind of curious, as like, why? Why was that so important to you? Um,
1: I had seen when I was on the city council in Quincy that the issue was, was clearly there. Um, and there wasn't a lot going on at the time relative to it. And as I was campaigning for the state senate, it, it popped up quite a bit too. You're knocking on people's doors and saying, what are the issues? And that's one that I frequently heard. And then, as uh, happenstance would be, when I got to the legislature and I got my first committee assignment, I was assigned to be the Senate chair of the Joint Committee on Mental Health and Substance Use Disorder. And so it was kind of a match of things that had been going on in my district with the committee where I could have an impact. And so uh, we just took off from there.
0: And um, your district is um, Quincy, Holbrook, Braintree, Rockland, and... Abington. Abington. Yes. Okay. All right. Um... All right. And so, um, I do, we just got some stats, um, uh, and this is just in, um, Holbrook, but we had, um, in 2016, we had, um, 65 ODs. Five of those were deaths. Um, as of March, um, we had seven ODs and two deaths. That's just Holbrook. I mean, I, I know you, you go to a lot of, um, um, uh, different things. So I know you get a lot of that information. Um, and um, and then just recently, I want to say within the last Thursday, last Thursday to Sunday, we had two ODs mm-hmm. in the Good town. Um, so, obviously, a serious, serious issue. Um, so, um, <clears throat> let's see. You know what? Yeah, can you just um, maybe just tell us a little bit about, but about yourself and, and, um, and how you got into um, the legislative?
1: Well, I, I served on the city council in Quincy for nine years, and then the Senate seat opened up, so... I went back and forth a little bit on whether I would run and decide, my wife and I decided that it would something we could do. And so I, I decided to throw my hat to the ring, and it, uh, it went pretty well. So I got elected, and it, you had mentioned, you know, how did I get involved in the opioid? As I, as I mentioned, campaigning and then getting the committee assignment. And one of the first things I looked at after I got the committee assignment was what was going on in my district, and we had a thing called the Prescription Monitoring Program, which wasn't really being all that well utilized at the time, but one of the things that you could get out of the Prescription Monitoring Program, which is a database where um, information is entered for every prescription that's filled, uh, every opioid prescription in Massachusetts. It goes into this database. And one of the things you were able to draw out of it is um, information as to where the hotspots were in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. And there was a big circle around the district that I represented. Nobody uh, knows why, knew why. Um, You know, there's some theories as, as to why that's the case. But this area here has been particularly hard hit with the opioid epidemic. So right. going from the council to campaigning and then to the committee assignment, it's it's really kind of what led me to get involved in the work.
0: And what have you seen, like, as far as, so when you first came in, obviously, there's there's a lot of negative. What, what have you seen that has been positive in your time in office?
1: Uh, a lot. Um, you know, I think in the last six or seven years, and, and I think it can be traced back to the Heroin Commission, which was one of the first on OxyContin Commission, I'm sorry, uh, Senator Steve Tolman was pretty instrumental in getting that going. He was hearing about the OxyContin nationwide and once it was going on in Massachusetts. So that was one of the, the first things that was done, and that was, I can't remember what year that was, that might have been around 2009 or so. And And since then, there's a much greater awareness of, of the problem. And I'd say that the stigma associated with uh, the addiction crisis has lessened. People are starting to finally realize that it's nothing to be ashamed of that right. it happens to everybody, uh, to every family. Unfortunately, there's a lot of families that are impacted by it. It's nothing to be ashamed about. Talking about it helps, not only in people's personal situations and their family situations, uh, other people find it very helpful as well, knowing that somebody else is going through this individually or as a family. So I think that's been one of the most important things, and the Commonwealth is still t- trying to work on that with a, an anti-stigma campaign. Mm-hmm. So I think that's been a very positive step. And then, you know, once you kind of make people aware of it, and uh, the stigma starts to drop, then you can get into doing some things that really address it. And Massachusetts has done a lot, and we're recognized across the country as one of the states that's uh, out in front of this, which is hard to believe given My- the numbers that we still have. But we've done an awful lot, and a lot of the programs that we've put in place are uh, starting to show some results
0: yeah and, and one of those things is the uh, pharmacies right um, yes <clears throat> being able to track who who gets the prescriptions right um how much Correct. and um and how much time yes um, can you give us a little information on that
1: sure that's the uh prescription monitoring program that was in place and it was somewhat antiquated the, the technology was old the software uh, wasn't as, as great as it could be so over the last six years, we've invested a lot of money in the prescription monitoring program. And in fact, we um, put it out for rebid. So there's a new uh, prescription monitoring program in place, much more comprehensive, allows the state to gather a whole lot more information. And what it is, if, if you get a prescription, for instance, for an opioid and you go to the pharmacy, they enter in your name, the, the prescribing physician, how much of the drug you're getting, and uh, then... Physicians the next time that they go to write a prescription have that available and they can say hey This person was here a week ago or they were at another doctor's office uh, five days ago they're, they're, you know, There's something going on and they can either you know, say to the patient What can we do to help you or alert another doctor that uh, something may be occurring here relative to dependence. So um, the prescription monitoring program has been a, a big step forward. It's, it's a great tool and uh, it's now being utilized every time a prescription is being written. Uh, yeah. And that's huge. It, it is yeah. huge. Um, there was resistance to it. when The first step was to update the programming and then to get physicians enrolled in it. Uh, there was about 4,000 prescription uh, prescribers enrolled in it back in 2010, 2011, out of 40-something thousand prescribers in the Commonwealth. So there's only 4,000 enrolled, and out of those 4,000, very few were using it. Mm-hmm. Um, now we're up to about 80% of all prescribers That's are enrolled excellent. in the system, and they're required to use it every day. And they resisted at first. And what do you think the resistance was? Like I think what, it was a little bit of... Uh, change? Yeah, change. Uh, they were concerned, and I didn't think justified we, at the time that it was somewhat cumbersome the program wasn't that great and I don't think they realized uh, the benefit of utilizing it and as right. the epidemic grew I think they realized uh, they're gonna get involved in helping this so it went from getting them involved uh, enrolled and then requiring them to use it and then requiring them now to use it every time they write a prescription
0: well, that's excellent
1: um, so I was just uh, informed that um, Shane
0: will be calling in shortly and uh, so we're waiting on Shane um, and so is there any other positive things that you've seen?
1: Yes. Um, so on the prevention side, we're working with programs in schools uh, through the driver's license process with young people. i uh, just trying to make them more aware of the dangers of um, opioids in particular. On the recovery side or the treatment side, I guess, um, we, you know, we've increased the number of detox beds. Yeah. We've made it easy to get into detox beds. We've passed a 14-day insurance requirement, meaning that uh, up to 14 days of treatment will be required. We have a long way to go on that. Uh, So we're getting people into treatment in a much more uh, efficient way. Um, And then after they've gone through treatment, we're doing some work on recovery as well. We've certified sober homes. We're the first state in the country to certify sober sober homes. Um, You know, we're we're working on Making prescribe, uh, manufacturers responsible for taking back unused medications. We are the first state in the country to do that on a statewide basis. So,
0: the pharmaceutical companies will be taken back?
1: Yes, they will either come up with a plan of their own. Uh, the Department of Public Health has established regulations, so they will either come up with a plan on their own or they will contribute to uh, drug take back days. And we have uh, uh, pr- uh, drug take back days coming up tomorrow. Oh, okay. Uh, I believe it is tomorrow. I can double check on that. Um, but I'm pretty certain it's. it's if it tomorrow. is tomorrow,
0: where would people be able to go
1: to um, to see if, um, if? If I can, if you give me a second, yep. I will be able to tell you. Um, I know Braintree's doing it. Quincy's doing it. Um, let me just pull it up because I retweeted something relative to it. Um, so it's uh, the 29th, it's tomorrow. tomorrow, 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. And the locations can be found uh, at uh, massgov, mattdos.gov um dph website and in uh you know what the thing just froze up uh and on the website there is a list of where the um the take back locations are. so if you have medication at, at
0: your house you can take it to these places and drop it off
1: yes correct
0: right. okay and then they usually put it into what is it like some type of um,
1: well, they collect it they put it in the bags and, and so forth and then they um, Take it, and it's coordinated by the DEA and everything, and then mm-hmm. it's, it's it's properly disposed. I'm just pu- trying to pull it up here now. I should have. Some wasn't story. it um, on
0: the um, the whole getting the pharmacies to take back um, the medications? Wasn't it something like 350 tons of? Uh, somewhat, it was something ridiculous, it's an incredible
1: right? Incredible number. Um, yeah, so the nearest one to here, Braintree, Braintree has one. And I don't know if they're going to require that you show some sort of ID for the community. Generally, they don't. But Braintree looks like they're doing it. Uh, Holbrook, in fact, is is doing it. They're doing it 300 South Franklin Street, uh, okay. which is just down the street. <coughs> that's right, down the street uh, probably. Um, so we'll tomorrow,
0: um, you know, bring you medication. And I think that's up at the police station?
1: Yes, yeah, 300 so, South yeah. Yeah, um, so, the police station.
0: Yep. So bring your medication up there and drop it off. Um, the um, you mentioned the schools. Um, we we literally, Holbrook kids literally finally. I'm talking after almost three years, finally got a survey into the school, um, and it, I just it, it's extremely difficult for me to understand why. I, I understand schools have to be cautious, and um, you know, and uh, but we we almost didn't even get a sit down. Um, just to, to say who we were and what we were doing. And we finally got a survey in there. And there's such a need in these schools to educate because I, I think, like we were talking earlier before we started this up, um, the whole um, tobacco. like um, And we'll, we'll mention that one of the uh, um, Holbrook's uh, sixth grade uh, civics group has a question that we're going to ask the senator. Um, and they've been very, very involved um, with tobacco, marijuana, bullying, um, but the tobacco, and, and I know tobacco is down. Like um, kids aren't smoking, um, and, and that is strictly, um, I think, um, because of education. The, um, and when kids are educated, they make those smart choices. Um, and it's just um, very, very uh, frustrating to be able to not um, get into these schools because every single time, you know, it, you know, people are dying. And um, and I've talked to a few students from the surrounding areas. I know like um, um, uh, a big thing in the Rockland was marijuana and cocaine. And that was, I I was blown away on the cocaine. I think Braintree, um, the things they're um, dealing with is um, gummy bears, marijuana gummy bears, which, you know, and you were a big, big um, leading voice. I I saw you speak several times as we were leading up to the whole marijuana thing. Um, So, you know what? We have Shane on the phone. Um, we'll have to jump back on that question. Um, yeah, I get a little fired up, um, especially when it comes to the youth, because we, we've we tried so much. It, it's That's our future, and uh, we just really, really want to educate the youth. And uh, But, Shane, can you hear us? I can't hear you. Hold on.
2: Thank you so much for, um, for oh holding it down. Senator Keenan, uh, can you hear me? Oh, yes.
0: <laughs> uh, there's a volume on the side. Uh, maybe the other side. Where is it, Shane? Go ahead and talk. Okay, Senator Keenan. That's I just want to thank you very much for coming on the show. Um,
2: it, it's. Uh, I, I'm very grateful, Bill. Thank you so much, Zach. Thank you. Um, I was just listening to what Bill was saying about the youth and and the gummy bears, and uh, I. Um. The The reason why I'm not here today is I I work um, a full time job. Um, I, and I do high-rise window cleaning. And uh, so I get into a conversation with someone the other day, and they're an older gentleman, and he started bringing up the fact about, um, you know, prohibition with the marijuana. And I said, you know, it, it's it's fine if an adult's smoking it, if that's their choice. I said, but they're targeting the youth. And, you know, he, we start going back and forth, and it's a, a healthy debate. And um, he had said you know what you know you're wrong, you have a very biased opinion because you recovery, blah, blah blah and um and that was a conversation between him and I, and I'm open about my recovery to him. But then he turns to uh, a property manager that came up behind us that was somewhat in the conversation but had no clue about me being in recovery. and he said the only reason why Shane's a real advocate for this is because Shane is in recovery, and we see that a lot more is that they're taking people with experience. And then dumbing down what what our opinions are or the facts that we're trying to share um, to kind of lessen um, the impact, and, and that's you know not only done by the the medical society but it's also done you know on a personal level, and it's harder and harder for us to you know say what we need to say, and and uh, and, and so we appreciate someone like you, Senator Keenan where you can have that voice, and yes, people will debate with what you agree upon or or what side but um to have someone that understands where we're saying, you know if an adult wants to smoke marijuana uh that's fine um but it, the marketing towards children is what is affecting us so my daughter's 9 years old and it, it's a personal thing as well um and so what I was uh, what I wanted to ask and I don't know if they already asked you this is that yes we can we can limit um we can limit Doctors on what they can prescribe, but how can we start limiting pharmaceutical companies on what they can advertise
1: and produce it's a good question it's um, It drives me absolutely out of my mind when I turn on the TV and during certain key periods of time, just about every single advertisement is for a medication and the one that really gets to me is the one that has to do with uh, Opioid-related constipation, and they make light of it yeah. in the commercial. Yeah. Um, and you know, so pharmaceutical—it's it, big money. They have uh, obviously some protected rights relative to advertising, uh, but I, I just beyond the opioid situation, and we're going to have to monitor it, obviously, with the marijuana situation. I think it's one of the leading drivers as to why our medical costs are so high. I know in our mass health budget, the cost of prescriptions is what's uh, driving the biggest increase in that budget. And I think you can draw a correlation between what is spent on advertising, the fact that these commercials are in people's homes every single night, and the increase in the number of Uh, medications that are prescribed and the cost of those medications and um, I think we're going to find uh, you know similar uh, approaches uh, relative to marijuana I mean the advertising is going to be a big push of theirs and how we regulate is going to be very very important but It's a tough one. You know, there are some free speech issues involved and and interstate commerce issues. We've looked at restricting advertising here in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts and more than even in free speech, it does become an issue of interstate commerce. And typically that's uh, left to the federal government to determine. But uh, it's, it's something that we're going to have to figure out.
2: Senator Keenan, just real quick, for for those Uh, uh, watching at home might not know, uh, can you explain a little bit the the, uh, interstate commerce a little bit, just what that means? Sure.
1: Basically, uh, the the selling of uh, the sale of, of medications, uh, is something that uh, occurs between states. They manufacture in one state; they may be uh, sold in another state. Mm-hmm. So it's interstate commerce, and there's a commerce clause that says that basically that comes within the purview of the federal government, and uh, the individual states are very limited on what they can do uh, in, uh, relative to commerce, and they can't really do anything that would impact or adversely affect where the federal federal law is involved. The federal law preempts any state action in certain areas, and that's one of the areas. Mm-hmm.
2: So it's it, it, it's frustrating because I was uh we had sat down and um we were listening to a doctor speak on um she she had raised her hand and she said I was one of those doctors that uh you know were over prescribing in the 90s and um at first I was very frustrated and I, I had asked her I said you know I don't buy the excuse, you know, I, I, I feel like you, you know, you study medicine, you understand what you were doing. But she said in a way that she was backed into a corner because the way the pharmaceutical companies were, were pressing um, the law to basically say, if you're not producing enough medication out of said entity, uh, you can't get JCO accreditation, which is everything for a hospital or a medical facility and now that they you know they're scaling back but it's i just feel like where my frustration is is that the only ones that are paying for this the only ones that are paying for this medical push are the families uh the addicts themselves are uh, i don't believe everyone is a natural born addict but what i feel like is what we're seeing now is a social disease or or a social sickness and, and a lot of these kids are not starting off on a progressive rate like I did, where it started with marijuana, or alcohol. Some of these kids are picking up a needle right away, and I just feel the frustration where we're the only ones paying for the the consequences of something much more powerful. Um, I just, I, I really appreciate you coming on the show. I really do, and I know I keep saying that, kind of like a. a I'm distracted right now because I'm driving, but um, the show is not uh, about us. It's it's about giving back towards um, the community and what you guys did for me um, the last time I saw you speak when we were we were talking about the the marijuana law that passed. Um, it was very eye opening and motivated me. And um, we just uh, I personally appreciate your work um, Thank going you. forward.
1: No, and you know I think one of the the things that is different with this epidemic compared to those that we've faced in the past is that people like you who have uh, gone through, um, you know, the, the, the process of dealing with addiction and are in recovery, that there's a willingness to help. Oftentimes, you know, uh, before when it was alcohol, even it was drugs, because of the stigma issue, you, people wanted to get into treatment, try to get well, and not let anybody know right. what they had experienced, and as a result all that knowledge uh, that was gained during the recovery process uh, wasn't being shared. And I think it's encouraging that people who have gotten help who are in recovery are willing to share their experiences, and that is something that's unique to this epidemic, and I think it's going to really help us get out of it sooner than we otherwise would. So what you're doing is really helpful, and and you should be commended for it. it, It's making a difference. There's no doubt about it. Thank you. I mean, they're...
2: appreciate that. I have, uh, I, I have one more question, and then I'm going to let Bill take over the show because I'm most likely going to crash if I keep doing this. Yeah, um, don't crash. I, you know, I, you know, I, I don't. It doesn't have to be, um, you know, specifics. But I, I had a, a semi personal question, but I, I believe it's it's relative to what we're speaking about. Is have you ever faced it, have you ever faced uh, this this epidemic? on on a personal level. And if you have, um, what tools or what tool did you use mainly? Um, like I said, it doesn't have to be specific, but, um, what tools did you use that someone that, that's listening, um, might, might go, okay, like that's the pathway that I want for my son, my daughter, my cousin, my mother, um, uh, yeah, so I guess that's the question: Is has it ever affected you on a very personal level? And if so, what tools have you used uh, in order to help combat the issue?
1: Sure. On on the opioid end, um, there's been some relatives who have, have struggled with it. Um, thank you know I thank God that my my children have have not, um, and I've got. Um, uh, 16 nieces and nephews on one side and I think about nine on the other wow. side and, and we've been very fortunate. But I, I grew up in a household my, my father suffered with alcoholism for um, many, many years. And it was in 1987 when um, we kind of had an unplanned intervention mm-hmm. with my father. And it was one afternoon and uh, it's kind of interesting how it happened all of us kind of separately. Just figured this, this can't go on and uh, we came together. We happened to be, a lot of us happened to be home at the time. There was seven children in my family and my mother was, my mother was working and my father worked night so he was home and we just kind of got together and all looked at each other and realized, you know, maybe today's the day where we try to, to change something here. So my father, he came into the, to the family room where we were and um, we tried real hard to convince him to go and get treatment and like is so common, he said, no, no, I can handle this. And he had tried to handle it uh, on his own many times mm-hmm. and just uh, wasn't able to do it. And um, so that day after it seemed like hours, we finally got him to say, okay, I'll, I'll go and get uh, some treatment. And two things happened then that uh, don't happen often enough now. We were able to pick up the phone and find him a, a, a bed. He went over to uh, High Point over in Plymouth. Mm-hmm. And and also his insurance covered it and with this epidemic um it's it's difficult to get beds we're trying to address that but it's very difficult to get beds on uh, with the phone call basically and i don't remember what day of the week it was but with the phone call saying hey we've got somebody who's ready to go can we get out we we uh, got his things together my sisters ran and packed the bag and we got him in the car myself and two of my brothers and we drove down the high point so there was a bed available right. and there was really no question at all at the time about his insurance. It was just accepted. And so he was able to get uh, inpatient treatment at High Point for uh, about 30 days and it changed his life. And, and this epidemic is very different and obviously opioids is very different than, than alcohol and there's different treatments that are available and there's different ways to treat it and inpatient isn't necessarily you know, going to work first time for everybody. but um, So yeah, I, I look back and I think of that day and there was two things, the availability of a bed and there was insurance coverage and for whatever reason, that was back in 1987, for whatever reason, we as a society uh, have gotten away from that. Insurance is very hesitant to cover uh, long-term treatment and as a result, there are fewer beds available than what otherwise could be. So, um, you know, my father had a long period of, of sobriety and uh, he passed away uh, about four years ago, four years ago, and he had been sober and was able to spend time with his, his children and his grandchildren and. Um, that's what we want for everybody, right. and that's what kind of drives what we, what we do here. Yeah,
2: but, uh, that's a, an amazing story. I appreciate you sharing that with us. Uh, and like you say, this, the, you know, yes, heroin, alcohol, but the substances are different. The story's the same, except uh, you know, in 1987, the insurance covered it, and you could get them in right away. So. I appreciate everything. I, I really appreciate you sharing that with us, Bill. Thank you so much, Zach. Zach thank you so much. Um, I do have to get off the phone so I don't crash. But it's fine. Um, thank good. you so much, and, and uh, um, we hope you come back <laughs> on the show.
1: Thank you so much. Thank you, Shane.
0: Shane, be safe. We'll talk to you later. Right. Bye bye. <laughs> All right. So Shane called in. You know, it's it's um, you know. It, And that seems to be one of the biggest difficulties. So one of the questions that actually uh, comes from Holbrook has to do with what you just pointed out, that you were able to get your father the bed and the insurance was able to cover it. So um, I'm just going to read this because I want to make sure that I'm reading it right. And it's a fairly long question, and it's right. Next one, I think. Number eight. Yep, it's this one right okay. here. Okay. And so um, it, this is from the Holbrook Cares um, Coalition. As many families who are facing or have faced addiction issues with loved ones and their families, they are very aware of many barriers that currently exist and prevent them from getting long-term support for their families. So they listed some of these things. And uh, one of them, insurance carriers do not support longer than 30 days in a recovery program when it is known that it can take many years to fully recover from addiction. Um, So, I mean, that would actually fall right in what you were talking about earlier, how we were able to um, get it to 14 days, correct? Correct, yeah, the present
1: law is that um, (coughs) up to 14 days, uh, treatment must be covered by an insurance company if it's deemed medically necessary by a treating clinician. And we have legislation filed, again, this session to put that at 30 days. That bill passed the Senate last year but ran out of time uh, in an effort to get it through the House of Representatives and to the governor. So we're going to push that hard, and uh, we're, we're hopeful that it will get passed this
0: session. So even if that passed, so 30 days, you still have to have some insurance Coverage, or, or would it be mandatory? Like
1: would, that would require insurance companies to to, to cover it, and yeah. otherwise people would default uh, to Mass Health or to programs that are uh, funded by the Bureau of Substance Abuse Services.
0: And I think that's kind of where a lot of the issues tend to it, people. It becomes a revolving door. It does. You know, um, but you know what? Uh, you we you know we're going to keep moving forward, and you know, and um, as Shane said, we've been very fortunate to have your voice. Um, uh, with us along the way, so I know at some point we'll get to where we need to be. Another thing that the uh, Cares Coalition had mentioned was the Section Thirty Five. The courts need to follow or know of the patient's care during the section and follow through with family members that require the section. How can we uh, work through the um, um, what is that? H uh, the HIPAA, HIPAA regulations? Regulations, yeah, HIPAA right, to uh, involve caring
1: families. Yeah, that, that issue highlights, um, so, and go back to my father's situation. We, we had told my father, Dad, if you don't agree to go to treatment, I have a brother who's a police officer, he said, you know, we'll take you down and we'll go to the court system. Um, so, And that's what a lot of families do when there's nowhere else to turn. They right. will go to the courts and try to get somebody sectioned. Um, so somebody would go to court. They would get um, put into, uh, admitted under Section 35 program. And what the concern is of family members is if there's a determination at some point that the person is no longer a, a danger to themselves or the community or to others, that they will be uh, discharged or they will be let go. And right. oftentimes a family member that brought them to court won't be notified of that. And so there have been instances where, you know, somebody thinks that they're going to be in there for 30 days, 60 days, um, and, All of a sudden on day 22, and I can't remember what the average is, but it's right around there. Right. uh, Day 20, 21, 22, uh, the person will be discharged from the Section 35 commitment, and the family may not know about it. Mm -hmm. Uh, Sometimes they do, and they're there, and and they they take the person back, and they make sure that they get to additional treatment. Sometimes the person leaves without the family even knowing, and then they find out three days later and say, what happened, uh, and the tragic cases. They'll they'll get the phone call that the person has gone out and used and is in an overdose situation because they're much more susceptible right. or vulnerable to overdose uh, because they haven't been using for a period of time. Mm-hmm. So um, that is uh, it does come into play uh, the issue between what information can be shared between um, patients and healthcare providers and and there is a bit of a wall between even medical doctors and uh, behavioral health practitioners or physicians, that the same person uh, who's receiving behavioral health care, who then goes to a a primary care physician, the primary care physician, without the permission of the patient, cannot get that behavioral health information. uh, The accountable care organizations that are starting to pop up under health care reform, they're better able to get around that, and they're more, uh, I guess, aggressive in having patients sign releases so they can get the information, but it continues to be a a pretty big problem. Um, So it's something we're going to look at. I think the real answer is, and it's not a short-term or an easy fix, the real issue is that if we can get as many points of access into treatment as possible so that Section uh, Section 35 has to be relied on less than what it is now. We don't have a lot of access points, and so Section 35 becomes a main one. If we can increase the number of access points, the need for Section 35 should decrease.
2: Sorry to just jump in. So the the kind of the idea behind HIPAA was more to protect people's medical personal information from being shared openly in offices and you know between uh, physicians and you know so people weren't aware of your personal health issues Uh, and this is kind of similar but you know the the still causes a barrier even though the intent was different of the the HIPAA regulations. Right.
0: If and just so for people who hear that voice, that's our producer Zach. Um, so we Who's just wanted to point that out. The man behind the curtain, the Wizard of Oz. <laughs> so, so is I mean, so I guess you know, I think one of the things me personally to have you on was like, what do we do as family members? Um, as like you were saying, these grassroots, these uh, coalitions popping up, uh, because like in our in our community, it just got to a point where we're like, well, something has to be done. This is ridiculous. We're losing people left and right. So the coalition forms and everything. Is there anything that we can do, like, you know, obviously contacting our, uh, our representatives or is – I mean, there's got to be something, like, that we can do um, to to really begin to push this. Is there
1: I, – I think what you're doing is is things like this, yeah. making people aware of it, and then getting information out to uh, individuals who are st- uh, struggling with addiction and – or their families as well to let them know that there are places they can go to get help. And oftentimes the best avenue for getting that information out is is local. We can have hotlines, we can have state offices that people can call. running into somebody in the community that you know that's involved in this issue is the best way to get information to somebody or to get information and to, to get referrals to people or to say hey here's where you can go, I went through this here's a place you can go. So that personal contact right. which can occur in a, cannot occur on a hotline but does occur in the community and through organizations like Oprah Cares, that I think is is really critical. And then just the education piece, right. making people aware, reaching out to schools, reaching out to the, the social clubs in the community, those are really important things that the state isn't as effective at, uh, compared to the local communities.
0: Right. I mean, you know, and, and, and that's happening, obviously, um, you know, as you said earlier, the whole, um, ending the stigma and people coming out, people talking word of mouth. I mean, you, you, you just can't beat that. Um, and, um, so <clears throat> the schools, um, do, do we have, um, are there, do you know offhand, are there any um, any programs going on in the schools, say like in the Rockland and the Abington at the, at the moment that you know of?
1: Uh, well, I know that they're, they're working with how to integrate into the health curriculums, um, those that are offering health curriculums, uh, the opioids uh, issue. And then there was uh, part of the legislation that we passed last session, uh, a requirement for SBIRT, um, uh, screening, brief intervention, referral to treatment. So at two grade levels in schools, There is a requirement that uh, children be asked about what their home situation is, whether somebody at home may be uh, struggling with an addiction or whether they themselves have been using drugs. There's a little bit of debate, I know, in in the district and some of the school districts that that I represent about the best way to implement that, whether that is going to be the the best way to get to students. Um, The uh, idea of is that through the nurses or coaches, that just those questions are asked to the school, Mm -hmm. um, school personnel. Uh, some schools think you know we know who the students are that are most at risk and uh, being required to do the screening across the whole school system uh, will be somewhat expensive it will be somewhat cumbersome it'll take some time um, so some of the pushback that we've gotten is we'd rather work on those that we believe to be specifically at risk and mm-hmm. we know though who they are through our teachers through our Guidance councils at the elementary and middle school levels and and high school levels, so there's that discussion that's going on. But the requirement is that there be uh, the screening at at two grade levels. Initially, people thought it was a drug screening that you know would be a urine test or a blood test, but that's really not what it is. It's just part of a a kind of an informal questioning of how things are going and then trying to get some information back from that. So I think that will. Continue to be discussed over the next several months, and whether there's a movement away from it or a refinement of what was passed, we'll, we'll see. No. But um, the schools are being more proactive in general. They recognize that uh, things have to occur. They're offering uh, programs at night, after school programming as well. In Plain Sight is yes, a program that's been offered at many of the schools. Um, uh, drug Theater is something I, I went to a, uh, a Program down in Marshfield where they did that, so there's interest in doing that at, at various schools. I think Quincy had it within the last couple of weeks, or it, it up coming. Right, yeah. So that those types of programs uh, are being used to try to reach students. And then for athletes. Um, through the concussion uh, process they're also trying to make uh, athletes more aware of the risk of opioids Uh, but I think it has to go beyond all that and there's also then tied into driver's education there's there's Mm -hmm. there'll be a segment in driver's education that deals with the science of addiction and its impact on the brain so
0: yeah and it's you know um like when you mentioned the athletes um there was um, someone here who had spoke about um uh, what their son or whatever it was um had injured and and you know went to the doctors and the doctors wanted to give them lot like the um, the oxies, okay. and um, you know and it and they didn't really say anything like they just assumed the doctor you know this is the professional and they know but uh, as as we found that I think one of the main things t- to point out is, Ask your doctor. Don't be afraid. Right. Tell them you don't need that many or whatever. And that was another thing. So um, in, th- in the past, I think it was a 30, a prescription of 30. It's less now. It's,
1: it's a seven-day initial prescription. Yeah. And you can't exceed. I can't remember the day <laughs> total in general. Um, so we're, we're making progress there, too. And also, um, we introduced a piece of legislation, and, and it passed. And it was the idea of a woman who works in my office. It's called a non-opioid directive where you can put in your medical file uh, a, a document that basically says I do not want to be prescribed opioids Mm -hmm. and that's for people who are in recovery because we kept hearing the stories that go in for a a basic procedure a tooth out whatever it may be and they say here's a prescription without asking and now the person's got the prescription in front of them they're in recovery there's that temptation um, so they can have something in their medical record that I will say do not offer me uh, a prescription for opioids until at least there's been some sort of discussion. And, yeah,
0: and don't be afraid to, to ask questions for your doctor. No, That's, absolutely. you know, absolutely ask them um, if there's any alternatives. Um, so um, we have five minutes left, so I do want to put out the uh, the civics grade um the civics group, sixth grade uh, civics group, because uh, they, like I said, over the last few years, they've been very, very active in this community. And uh, one of the first years that I work with them, one of the things that they wanted to address was the substance use disorder that was going on, and uh, which I thought was blown away because they're sixth graders. Mm. They shouldn't be talking about this. They should be enjoying life. But obviously it hit home. It was personal to a lot of them. So um, they um, submitted the question and it says, um, currently smoking is prohibited in uh, public places in Holbrook. Yet at any weekend, sports games or nightly practices, adults are smoking at our ballparks and practices, practice fields. How will marijuana be controlled in public once it's legal? Um, If the fine against regular smoking is not enforced, we are concerned of the impact this will have on the youth athletic events in the future. Great
1: questions. It is. Uh, And there's uh, police departments are struggling with how they're going to deal with the marijuana issue. Uh, You can't smoke it in public. Uh, You can't smoke while you're driving, and yet that's occurring at increasingly alarming rates. Uh, So it is going to be a matter of enforcement. And Hopefully, with the marijuana uh, question having passed, and I, I I don't mean to sound optimistic about it, but it will lead to greater enforcement, not only of public smoking of marijuana, but also of cigarettes and, mm-hmm. and the combination of the two. The sixth grade class here, the civics class uh, in Holbrook is, is just, it's unbelievable. The, <laughs> yeah, they, the yeah. older group was in uh, the state house yesterday or the day before for kick butt today, uh, yeah. having to do with smoking. And I was kidding them. I said we we should get you an office. The yeah. Holbrook schools are in here so often. We should just get you an office. They are so effective, yes. well spoken, engaged. Uh, it it is really remarkable. And the teacher over there, Mary Cloud, which is just an incredible job with it. So and they've raised some really interesting uh, points. And you know, with marijuana now legalized, uh, it's it has to be treated like a public health uh, issue, much yeah. like cigarettes were. I went out to Colorado. Uh, to do some research uh, and met with state officials out there. And one of the, the things that I took back with me was um, from a person out there who had been involved in, this, in the marijuana and cigarette uh, public health sphere for a while was treat marijuana like cigarettes mm-hmm. get those anti-smoking messages out there whether it's for marijuana or uh, nicotine tobacco products vaping and um, you will see hopefully the use rates drop just as they have with cigarettes right because they feel it's the tobacco industry all over again right it's the same template it's the same game plan and they said you have to attack it the same way and it's been effective the money out there on this is just incredible so locally sixth grade class keep it up it is going to be a question of enforcement um, and it's important because normalization's what's occurring, and if kids see adults smoking marijuana at ball fields, they're gonna think it's normal. Right. And that's what the industry wants. Yeah. And we can't let them have that. And they
0: do. And they do, you know. But again, um, you know, when you educate them, they make those smart decisions, you know. Kids are a lot smarter than we give them the credit for. Especially Absolutely. in Oldbrook. they're, they're yeah. remarkable. Unbelievable. A great group of kids. Um, it's, you know, they they give you hope. They sure you do. You know. Um, and like you said, Mary Clark is phenomenal. She does um, so much with those kids and has really been a positive impact in this community. Um, all right, so that's it on this show. We're going to have to have you come back because there's so many other questions we wanted to ask. But, you know, um, we know you're busy and we, we appreciate you Anytime. taking the time out. Um, Senator John Keenan, um, and um, I'm going to just say um, kids cares. Uh, a coalition in our town. We meet on the first Tuesday of the month, um, May 2nd, which is um, this Tuesday coming. We're going to have recovery as possible. It's a night of hope. We're going to have a bunch of speakers. So please come out. Um, listen, maybe share a story or something. As as we were talking about earlier, it's it's a community getting together and sharing our resources and sharing our stories because that would that's what helps us um, get through this. Um, we also have a drop in center um, in Holbrook, and we meet on the second Monday of the month up at the Brookville Baptist Church. We have resources, we um, recovery programs, providers, Narcan training, there's uh, licensed con- clinician referrals. And then uh, we're in a collaboration with um, Avon, and they do their um, drop-in center at the fourth Monday of the month on the Council of Aging. But you can get all that information on the Hobart Cares. So, again, thank you, Senator. Thank we you. appreciate you. Anytime. Thank you. Thank Thanks you, Facebook work. Live, for um, um, you know uh, watching us. And uh, if you have any questions, go to the Rock Bottom Recovery Center. Uh, rock bottom to recovery page um, and uh, put your questions there and uh, and let us know how we're doing or what you're looking for. So with that, we'll see you guys. Have a safe weekend. Bye-bye.